I want to start this talk, and I want to start this series with a story of something I once held in my hand when I was four years old. This is my earliest memory of going to church, and we're in a series about the church. What is the church, and why does Jesus gather us in this way? And in my earliest memory of going to church, uh, I'm four years old, and I'm attending a church called Loma Vista Assemblies of God in Kansas City, Missouri. This is the mid-1980s, and so the church is decorated as the mid-1970s, deep, deep, deep browns, pea soup green. I'm walking down the hallway of this church, and I'm holding in my four-year-old little hand one sweaty M&M. Now, a little bit of background about me. My mother has told me time and time again that between the ages of two and four, I would do anything for an M&M, up to and including violence. And so here, the value proposition was, repeat back the Bible verse, get an M&M. Pretty easy deal for me. But something had happened to me. I don't remember what. Something about the content of this Sunday school class for four-year-olds had so inspired me that I intended to give this precious treasure away to another kid. So in my memory, I'm walking down this brown and green hallway, and I have found my query, this girl from our class. I've decided I'm going to give it to her. And I walk up to her, and I extend to her my prized possession. And she said, and I will never forget, here's what she said. Ew, gross. Now something mysterious had happened to me. I decided to share my one precious M&M. Something divine had happened to me. And also something messy had happened to me. This person, when I extended this great and generous gift to her, she said to me, ooh, and I still carry that with me to this day. And that's a little bit of what church is like for all of us. Sometimes it is a divine mystery and sometimes it's a bit of a mess. We're in a series about what it means to be a church, what it means to go to church, what it means to be the church. And sometimes people ask me, Matt, what kind of church is Menlo? Is it a conservative church or a liberal church? Is it a multi-site church? Is it a mega church? And the answer is real simple. We're a Jesus church. We're just some humble people, sometimes real clumsily trying to find and follow Jesus in our own lives. And God's asked us to spend our days to work together to help other people, sometimes real messily, to help them find and follow Jesus. We're a Jesus church. And any follower of Jesus will tell you, sometimes church life is a real profound and life-changing mystery. Sometimes it's a mystery, and sometimes it's a mess. So we're going to acknowledge the mess in this series, but we're also going to celebrate the mystery that Jesus is present here in our gatherings in life-changing ways. And we've got a lot to celebrate in this day and age at Menlo Church. We have returned to hosting Menlo Kids at all of our campuses. It's so exciting. On the first weekend of Menlo Kids, I looked into our room where the lower elementary kids were, first and second grade, and they were focused in a way that I'd never seen before. They were happy to be there. Also, we're serving coffee at all of our campuses today. And maybe most importantly, the question that I have fielded the most as a campus pastor during the pandemic, 
When will we have donuts back? Well, they're back. They're back at every campus. If you're joining us in our online campus, you can get your own donuts. You always could, but join us in this moment of celebrating. Donuts are back. We're gonna celebrate. But we're also gonna acknowledge the mess in our lives and in our church life and in the church nationally and internationally. A lot of people are saying the church is in a mess right now. There is a demographic called the nuns that has been growing. About 20% of Americans identify as none. What's a nun? Well, it's somebody that doesn't have any religious belief at all. They're not a believer. They're not an atheist. They aren't saying they don't know. They're saying, I don't care. I'd rather not even answer this question. And they've grown pretty significantly in the last couple of years. Also, there's something going on right now called the Great Resignation, a Microsoft study of a whole bunch of different workplaces across the country just in this last June 2021 showed that 40% of American employees are considering resigning from their job. It's called the Great Resignation. And interestingly, this has impacted pastors in maybe a more intense way. On Pastor Twitter, yeah, there's something called Pastor Twitter. A whole bunch of consultants have said about 50% of their people that they speak with, that they work with, uh, are considering resigning. One person I follow said of the 50 people, the 50 churches he consults with, 28 of them are in a senior leadership transition. So the great resignation happening in churches. Now, also, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're looking at a Delta variant-driven fourth wave. It's gone on for just way too long. And no church that we know of, no church that we're in contact with, has had their attendance return to more than 50% of their pre-pandemic levels. It's a bit of a mess. And then our church has been in a bit of a mess this last year. On Easter 2020, I'll tell my Easter 2020 story in a bit, but on that Sunday, we had about 17,000 people watch our online service. And today, the amount of people that are hearing my voice that are joining us online is not that. Bit of a mess. It's not just our church that's a mess. It's not just the American contemporary church that's a mess. It's somewhat comforting, but also a little disturbing to learn. The ancient church was a little bit of a mess. There was something called the Council of Trent that happened in the third century. The emperor of Rome, Constantine, had become a Christian and then learned that the bishops of all the churches were in a big squabble, a big theological argument. And so he convened the first ecumenical council in church history, brought all the bishops from all over the Roman Empire together to talk about theology. They got into a really big argument. The first topic on the table was how divine was Jesus? Was he God? And if so, in what way? And there was a man called Arius who argued that Jesus was not in fact God, did not share a divine substance. And someone else called Saint Nicholas, yes, Santa Claus, heard Arius's speech and in the middle of the plenary session of the Council of Trent, Saint Nicholas stood up from his seat and marched across the stage and punched Arius in his face. That's a little bit of a mess. And even before that, the Apostle Paul, we're going to talk about him quite a bit in a little bit. Uh, He was a missionary, maybe the first missionary in church history, and he became a follower of Jesus. And then he walked on foot from modern day Turkey to modern day France, and he planted churches. And we're going to study the letter that he wrote to those churches, one of those churches, in just a moment. 
But on those missionary journeys, he would find himself in a mess. In fact, some of those messes he himself caused. So from Acts chapter 15, a little story about Paul, a little story about the messy origins of the followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 40, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them on the missionary journey. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because John Mark had deserted them previously and had not continued the work with them. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose someone else and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Paul had such a sharp disagreement that he broke up the band. It was a mess. They got in a big fight. It was messy. The church kind of from the beginning has been a little bit of a mess. Many today are seeing this mess and they're asking, should they stay engaged with church? What value does church add to our lives? Well, next week, we're gonna talk about one of the most important parts of being a human being, belonging. It's our deepest need to be known and loved, to belong to something. And Jesus has provided a way for us to be loved and known. It's called the church. We're gonna talk about that next week. Now, I have a challenge for you. Pre-pandemic at Menlo Church, the median attendance uh, of someone at Menlo was 1.7 times per month, less than two times a month where people come into church on average. And so I just wanna humbly challenge you to come for the next four weeks, this whole series, four right in a row. I think that Jesus really genuinely has something for us in this series, and I don't want you to miss it. And so subtly and subconsciously, I am communicating the importance of this series by wearing this suit coat. I wanna give it some gravitas. I want you to hear the credibility in my voice when I challenge you to come for the next four weeks. Jesus has something for us as we ask these really big questions about what it means to be a church. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're asking all the big questions, all the basic questions, all the critical questions about church life. Today, we're asking, what is a church? And it's simple. Church is a mystery and it's a mess. Mystery and mess. Now for some during the pandemic, Church has been an absolute lifeline, a vital life-giving connection to the community of believers. And that's how I experienced it. On Easter 2020, I had one of the most satisfying and life-giving and healing moments of church. You might remember Easter 2020 was online. We'd been online for a couple of weeks. Two weeks previous to Easter was our first Sunday online. And I woke up that morning feeling real sick. We had had a plan that some of our staff at San Mateo were gonna be present on campus to explain to people we're closed for a few weeks because of the pandemic. And I had to call my guys and say, hey, I don't think I can come today. The protocol is if you're feeling sick, don't show up. So I didn't. Then the next day, our childcare provider let us know they weren't gonna be having kids anymore uh, at their childcare location. And so suddenly we went from uh, working normally to working from home with kids on my lap and feeling really sick. And by the time Easter rolled around, I was feeling ill. As far as Zoom calls, I'd had my fill and I had two kids that I wanted to kill and that's what my whole life was. And so I showed up to Easter really desperate for God to work in my life some way. I really desperately needed to hear about Jesus 
from the community of believers. So on Easter morning, 2020, as I was singing in my living room, I was imagining you singing in your living room and I felt God present to me in a way that I can't quite describe, but tears were streaming down my face and I turned to my wife and I said, I've never believed more in the local church and its work than I do right now. Gathering, even virtually, to declare that Jesus is good and he is with us for some people during the pandemic and during their whole church life. Church has been a real gift, a vital life-giving thing. But for others, their experience of church has been a painful mess. It is so important to not hide the mess. Our instinct is to cover up the mess, but we need to bring the mess of our lives and of church life into the light. So in week three of this series, we're going to ask, what happens when the church goes wrong? We're going to bring the mess into the light, and I'm going to share the season of my life. I'm going to share my story about the season of my life when I swore an oath to never go into a church again. And yet here we are. We've got to bring the mess into the light. And that's what we're going to do in week three. But we also have to live in the reality that life in church can be a transformative mystery. So for the remainder of this talk, I want to share with you three ways that church is a life-changing mystery. And I want to share them from the book of Ephesians. This is one of the letters that Paul wrote back to a church he had planted. He knew these people well, and he's writing to share with them his vision for their church and what Jesus is doing in their community. Now, I'm going to talk so much about the book of Ephesians. By the end of this talk, you're going to say, did he read the entire book to us? It's going to seem like I'm just reading the entire book to you. I'm not, but I'm going to read some long and beautiful passages. And so I just want to recommend, there's only five chapters in Ephesians. You should totally sit down and read it this week. Maybe one chapter each weekday. It's a great way to live into the mystery of what Jesus has for us in life in the church. Three mysteries about the church from the book of Ephesians. Mystery number one goes like this. The church, this gathering of really messy people is somehow united with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for good works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's how it starts. And what is Jesus doing? He's giving teachers and prophets and apostles and pastors. In short, he's putting together a church. Now, of course, the teachers and prophets and apostles and pastors, those aren't just people on staff. That's every single one of you. Some of the most wise, prophetic, pastoral people I've ever met we're never on the payroll at a church. They're just part of the community of believers. So Jesus puts together a church. And he does that, starting in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth among the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In short, Paul's saying, when we live in the church life and we become more like Jesus, we are less and less of a mess. He goes on. Instead of being a mess, my summary, 
We will be speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament that grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's going on here? Paul's saying as we gather our messy lives together, as we learn to love one another, we are somehow joined to Jesus himself. We're somehow joined to Christ. And theologians sometimes say this means we are united with Christ. Now there's something essential about the togetherness. There's an irreducible togetherness in this passage. I cannot be united to Christ alone. It is only together. There is a fundamental we to this. I can't do it by myself. It's only when I'm part of a community of believers are we united to Christ. Now, I think this is a good juncture. If we're going to be united to Christ, it might be good to ask, who is this Jesus Christ? Well, Paul in Ephesians gives us some fantastic descriptors. Chapter one, verse seven, Paul says this about Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Jesus is the redeemer who lavishes his mercy upon us. It is his good pleasure to do that for us. He likes it. He loves it when he gets to include you and me. Paul goes on, chapter two. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead with transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. This is who Jesus is. Rich in mercy, the lavisher of grace, the forgiver, the redeemer. Now, these are kind of poetic or maybe flowery ways of describing Christ, but there is a messier, an earthier way of describing Jesus. In Jesus's life and ministry, he always seems to be surrounded by messy people. And so famously in Matthew 16, he says to his follower, Peter, Peter, your name means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then also famously, Peter at the end of Jesus's life, the night before he's crucified, deserts Jesus. It is as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church with messy people. And it's not even just that Jesus is surrounded by messy people. It is as if Jesus is running after messy people. Jesus runs towards the mess. And I was reading a blogger this week who described this attribute of Jesus, that he runs towards the mess, by saying that Jesus was the God of the bathroom floor. And she told this story that she woke up extremely hungover one day and was spending the day on the bathroom floor. And in a really mysterious way, Jesus visited her there and said, my daughter, this is not what I have for you. You can be healed of this. And that began her journey towards sobriety. And five years later, she was sober, but she found herself on the bathroom floor again. 
in a really similar position, but this time holding a positive pregnancy test. And again, in this mess, this unexpected pregnancy, Jesus visited her and said, this will be my greatest gift to you, this child. And she learned in this way, Jesus runs towards the mess, that he is faithful, even when our lives are messy, to show up and do his work. And this Jesus who runs towards the mess is the Jesus that we are united to when we gather together, when we engage, when we give our best into church life, when we're part of the community of believers, we are somehow united with this Jesus. And what happens when we are united with Jesus? Have you ever heard the saying that the longer a couple is married, the more they start to look alike? This happens to my wife, Katie, and I sometimes. Sometimes we'll get ready in the morning and then we'll come into the dining room and we'll realize that we're dressed almost identical. And one of us will mutter an expletive and go back to the closet and change their clothes. But I saw maybe the best example in the universe of two couples looking together when I was in seminary. I lived about a mile up from the school. Sometimes I would walk back and forth. Uh, And in the afternoon when I did, around three o'clock, there was a couple maybe in their 80s And they went on a walk together every day. They'd walk real slow and they would hold hands. And this husband and wife turned out to be impeccable dressers. And so I'll never forget the first time that I saw them. The husband was wearing brown polyester slacks and a yellow shirt with matching brown paisley. And the wife was wearing a dress. It was yellow with brown paisley. It was the same print, maybe made of the same material. They matched every single day. They matched every single day. And I will always regret the dozen times that I passed them. I never went up to them even one time and said, where do you shop? I would have loved to know. And I would have loved to hear their story. There's this spiritual principle at work in our lives. The more time we spend with someone, the more we start to resemble them. And this is true in our church life. If Jesus has promised to be present here in church when we gather, the more time we spend here, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we are transformed, the more our mess becomes something else, something that Jesus is using, something that Jesus is shaping in our lives or transforming when we are united with Christ. We're slowly becoming like Christ. We're transformed. Paul wrote about it this way. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This is mystery number one, that as we gather, even with our messy selves, that Jesus is present here and we are somehow united or joined to him in a really life-changing way. Mystery number two, somehow, some way, the church in all of its messiness shares Jesus's kind of power. Paul wrote about it this way. Ephesians chapter three. In reading this letter then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to other people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. This is Paul's way of saying, everyone is welcome here in this church community. He goes on to say, they are members of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all Lord's people, Paul knows that he is a little bit of a mess. He says, I am less than the least of everybody in this gathering. And to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden, who, God who created all things, his intent now is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and to the world. That through the church, his wisdom should be made known. See, even in our mess, God intends to use people like you and me. My first church in my ministry career, I worked with a student ministry and uh, there was a college age, maybe young adult age guy that came to church every Sunday. And I just thought he was a great guy. And so one day I asked him, you know, I think he would be great at volunteering with the high schoolers. Would you ever be interested in doing that? And he said, I absolutely would not be interested in doing that. And I'd love to take you to coffee and explain to you why. So we went to coffee and he shared with me that he had done something that he thought was so despicable that it precluded him, it prevented him from volunteering at church in any capacity. And it wasn't something dangerous or sexual, but he was so very ashamed of it. He thought for sure there was no way anybody would let him volunteer in any role. And I had the great honor of hearing his story and telling him, no, 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 Jesus forgives you We'd love to have you come and volunteer with the high schoolers. And I have never met anyone so gifted at connected with, connecting with and loving high schoolers. It was amazing. It was a blessing just to watch this guy love on teenagers in a really transformative and powerful way. And each one of us, if we're honest, should kind of be in awe of the reality that Jesus uses messy people like you and me. If we really countenance our mess, if we take a good hard look at the mess of our lives, well, we'll just be in awe that God invited you and me to this gathering and that he's real determined to use you and me as messy as we are to bless other people. And it's not just messy individuals that God uses. It's messy churches too. Last summer, summer 2020, was a really messy time for Menlo Church. And at the beginning of August, the pandemic was really bad and our online attendance had dropped a little bit. And it was part of the season where the stuff with Pastor John and his family was heating up. And it's even kind of hard for me to talk about now. That was a really painful time in our church. And at the beginning of August, we had a sermon series where we had invited people, maybe for the first time, to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to organize my life around Jesus. And in the middle of this really messy season of our church life, 23 people clicked our little button to say, I want to follow Jesus. And I'll always treasure that moment because it is proof in my mind and in my heart that God uses messy churches 
to proclaim to the world his wisdom. It's a real mystery. Somehow messes like you and me and messy churches like Menlo, God still uses us. Mystery number three. Somehow, some way, despite all the mess, Jesus is present here. And this is his great promise. Maybe the preeminent theme of the Bible is that God is determined, no matter what, to be present among his people if they're willing to have him. And in Ephesians, Paul writes this. Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple for the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. as we live into our communal life, as we engage with our best selves at church, as we know each other, as we love each other, as we show up to worship together on Sundays, somehow Jesus is present. We are being built together into a dwelling place. What does it mean that God is building us together? Well, it means that by the power of Jesus, by his good grace, when I bring my mess into the church community and you bring your mess into the church community and Jesus teaches us to love each other, to extend grace and generosity, when we do all of that, Jesus is present in really life-changing ways. And he goes to work on you and he goes to work on me and he goes to work on our messes. And this is the great promise that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God who is present by his spirit. And the truth is this, Jesus creates churches and Jesus inhabits them. And so if Jesus was who he said he was, if he really is the redeemer and if he really is rich in mercy and if he really is the one who lavishes grace upon you and me, if he really is the one who makes us alive, then we're gonna want to do anything within our power to be in his presence. Dallas Willard put it this way. If I believe that Jesus was right about everything, that he alone has the key to every aspect of my life here on earth, I will naturally want to stay just as close to him as I possibly can in every aspect of my life. And this means that when we engage in this communal church life, when we know and love one another, when we gather together to worship on Sundays, well, Jesus shows up to you. That also means that if I don't show up, if I don't engage, I'm going to miss out on something that Jesus has for me here. Now, I know church is hard 
I just got back from a two and a half week vacation. And sometimes on vacation, I love to find a different church to go and meet other pastors and see how they're doing church. And so I just show up on a Sunday morning with my two small children, just like a lot of families do. And miracle of miracles, this previous Sunday, I showed up on time to church and I turned to my wife and said, this is how I know that God exists. We made it on time. I know that it's really hard to get to church on time with little kids. And I know that sometimes church can be annoying or feel like a chore. But when we show up with the attitude, whatever the circumstance, that I am going to church because I am going to meet with Jesus today, that changes everything. Then the church becomes something more than a mess that gathering in this way, even though it is messy, it's simply the way that Jesus asked to be worshiped. Jesus has promised to be here. So I'm gonna be here too. Now remember in week three of this series, I'm gonna talk about the time I swore to never come back in a church and my journey to learning that if Jesus is gonna be here, I gotta be here too. That's what we're gonna talk about then. But here at the end, what is the church? It's a group of messy people living into the mystery of Jesus's presence here. It's a mystery and it's a mess. It's an M&M. Now, next week, we're going to take communion at all of our campuses. And it's the ancient ritual where we live into the truth that Jesus has invited us and welcomed us to his table. We're going to do that next week. But I want you to take these M&Ms and as you enjoy them throughout the week, as you carry them individually in your hand, I want them to be a sacrament for you, a prayer for you to say, Jesus, I am offering my mess to you. We are offering the mess of our lives to you. And so, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling to bring your mess into Jesus's presence, to surrender your mess to him, to organize our mess, our collective mess around the mystery of the presence of Jesus. I'll see you the next four weeks. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you know us, that you know our church, that you know the mess of our lives, that you know how hard this last year has been in so many different ways and that you're still at work in it, that you're still speaking to us, that you're still working on us, that you're still teaching us to be loving and gracious. So God, we just surrender ourselves to you, our individual selves and our collective selves. God, thank you for the mystery that you love us, that you included us that you are present here. Help us to live into that mystery. Amen.